All right, you ready? I have a question for you, and it's a really serious question. Do you really love lost sinners? Now, I'm going to tell you, you better be really careful before you answer that. Do you really love lost sinners? How do you speak to lost sinners? What do you share with them when God gives you the opportunity? Well, what I want to do in this message is not exhort you to speak to lost sinners. The entire series has been doing that. And it's not so much to um, hmm, comfort you in the rejection that you might get from lost sinners when you share with them. That'll likely be next week. What I want to really do is approach this message not exhortationally, but instructively. I want you to learn. So it's going to be a little bit different of an approach in my delivery. Because this really isn't, I don't think, an exhortational passage as much as it is an instructive passage. So here's what's going to happen in the next 30, 35 minutes. If you don't open your Bible and, and walk through this with me, I'm going to tell you right now, you are hopelessly going to be lost in this message. It's critical. If you have your phones, can you open up? If you're at home, open up your Bible, if you would, to Acts chapter 7. Uh, let's get them open. Can everybody see? It's kind of dim out there a little bit, I think, but um, maybe the lights can come up. I don't know. But can you see your Bible? You really need to be following through the Word of God with me. 2007, let me take you back there for a moment. It's a cold January morning. It's in the Washington, D.C. metro station. And there's a man with a violin. By the way, you can YouTube this and you can watch this. There's a man with a violin played, who played six Bach pieces in that station. For 45 minutes he played. And approximately 2,000 people went through that station. Some stopped for a few seconds. Others for a couple minutes. There were children, little toddlers that actually stopped, they were walking, they stopped and they began to stare and listen to this man, but then the parents hustled them on. That happened over and over, and about 20 people giving money in total about $32. When this man finished playing, no one noticed, nobody applauded, no one gave recognition at all, no one knew but one person that the violinist was Joshua Bell. He was one of the greatest musicians in the world. He played one of the most intricate pieces of music ever written in that station. He played it in that station, and he played it on a violin worth, listen to this, $3.5 million. Just two days before, he had played to a sold-out theater in Boston. Ticket prices averaged $100 for people that wanted to listen to his music. Now, why am I sharing that with you? Because what we're going to see in this message is what you and I experience all over this country. How can people miss the greatest story that has ever been told. How? 
billions of people today, friends, somehow cannot see the glory of God. They cannot see the glory of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished through the cross and the resurrection. And they're missing out on what is the greatest gift in the universe. And if you're like me, you can tell them this. And somehow their mind cannot understand. Their eyes do not see and their ears do not hear. But our job, Christian, is to proclaim this. Whether their ears are deaf, whether their, their eyes are blind, we proclaim in the hopes that the one who gives Acts chapter 5, 31... Repentance and forgiveness will bring them to faith. So today in Acts chapter 7, for the third time, do you know this? I want to connect this for you. For the third time, the great Sanhedrin is going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their ears were deaf, their eyes were blind, but one was there that day. His name is Saul, who would eventually hear. He's eventually going to see. He'll become the greatest missionary of the early church. But we've got Stephen, who is on trial. The authorities had arrested Stephen. They took him to the Hall of Hewn Stones. That's where the great Sanhedrin met along the northern wall of the temple of God in Jerusalem. That was their meeting room. And the great Sanhedrin was a body of 71 most powerful men in Israel. And like David and like Jesus before him, Stephen's enemies... Listen, all this is so amazing. And Pastor Kyle brought it out so well last week. His enemies could not find anything wrong in his life, in his conduct. Like Daniel, like Jesus. So what did they do? Well, like Daniel and like Jesus, Stephen's enemies twisted his words. They brought forth lies in the form of false witnesses. And they brought four trumped-up charges. They said that he blasphemed. That word means to treat the sacred with contempt. They blasphemed. They said he blasphemed against Moses. Look at chapter 6, verse 11. Against God. Look at verse 13. They brought up charges that he had spoken against the temple and the law. Four charges on which, for which, because of which, he is now on trial. Now you ready? Look at this. Top guy, the 71st, the high priest, the, the, the man's name was Caiaphas. He asked Stephen a question. The trial had begun. Here's his question. Are these things so? Have you blasphemed God, Moses, the temple? And have you blasphemed the law? Now, because the chapter is so long, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to show you three themes in the witnessing of Stephen. He's about to witness to the great Sanhedrin. Remember, the third time they're going to hear the gospel. Three themes in the witness of Stephen. And listen, they're the same three themes that need and must be in all of our witnessing. We have a lot to learn. Let's get going. Number one, first theme, God is calling you 
into something new. God is calling you into something new. Now I'm phrasing that as if you, remember I told you this is instructive, I'm phrasing this as if you or I were actually witnessing to somebody. And whatever words you use, whatever way that your personality communicates it, a central theme in all gospel witnessing is that God is calling you, lost sinner, into something new. See, the power of witnessing of Jesus is hope. I mean, listen, if you end up bringing people into hopelessness and you're witnessing, you're not witnessing with the gospel. Your power of witnessing of Jesus is that there is hope. Hope that God has something better for that person, something different, something new for those that he's calling into his promise. So your gospel witnessing needs to have Hope, because God is calling you into something new. Now think about this with me. The world seeks to fill a lost sinner with satisfaction. You know that, right? All right, now listen, if you're drifting a little bit in this message, come on back for a second. We've got to stay with me. The world will feed the lost soul an endless buffet line. It just will never satisfy them. It will never scratch the itch that's in their soul. It will never bring an end to their search. Everything under the sun, everything, is in one broad, specific, however, category. It cannot satisfy a person made in God's image. But the world's going to fill a lost sinner with satisfaction. It's just that that satisfaction will not Fulfill. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those, here's what he means, who come to the end of their rope. Who realize that their sin has made them spiritual paupers, beggars. For then, then they will turn to Jesus. And if they do, for theirs is the kingdom of God. They're going to inherit a place in God's kingdom. But you've got to be brought to poverty. Now listen, there might be somebody here right now, or certainly somebody that's watching this online, who's not yet a believer. Maybe you're seeking. Maybe you're searching. And I would witness to you right now with that first theme, are you truly satisfied? And I'm going to tell you, if you unzip your heart and you honestly look within it, you're going to find that there's something that just won't click into place for you. There's something that just won't lead you to rest. And what God wants for you is what he wanted for me, and what he continues to want for me, is that we realize that apart from God, we are nothing. See, the gospel is the divine invitation to come out of the old and into the new, and it's always the directive of the gospel. Colossians 1 says this, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved son. You've got to get that trajectory. This is always what the gospel is doing. If you want a witness filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and effectiveness, then you want to bring an invitation to people. Here's what God wants, lost sinner. He wants to bring you out of something and put you into something. 
And if you believe in the Son, Jesus says in John 5, you have passed from death to life, from and to. All right, now that was actually a preamble within point number one, a little bit of an introduction. Now we look at Stephen's message, and we're going to see how he did this, starting with Abraham. Now, you've got to have your Bibles open. I'm telling you, you are going to be absolutely swimming if you don't look at your Bible while I'm instructing you. Look at verse 3, chapter 7. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham and said to him, Go out from your land. Remember, I said that God is inviting us out of something and into something. And from your kindred, leave your family, leave your relatives, your uncles and your aunts, and go into the land I will show you. Look at verse 9. And the patriarchs, those are spiritual fathers. Those are the fathers of, uh, I'll, I'll tell you who they are actually in a little bit. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph. It's Joseph's brothers, that's who the patriarchs are. And they sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions. And gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now listen, are you hearing yet, Stephen? He's telling these 71 men, I think all but maybe one or two, they do not believe. They do not believe in Jesus. They are lost sinners. And Stephen is witnessing to them. And he's telling them God has always brought people out of something before he takes them into something. Look at verse 35. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. Here it is. This man led them out. Led them out of Egypt, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Stephen is emphasizing that God drew his people out of a pagan land and into the land of blessing. So friends, listen, when you witness to an unbeliever, remember I asked you at the very, first, at the very beginning of this, do you really love lost people? If you really love lost people, then you must have the focus and you've got to have the, the temerity, the boldness to be able to call them out of where they are now and into what God has for them. That is the trajectory. Listen, if you're not doing that, then you're not going to be partnering with the, with the Spirit of God because that is what God is doing. So when you witness to an unbeliever, you declare, in your own words, you declare that God will rescue them out of trouble, out of affliction, out of bondage, and deliver them into his promise, his blessing, new life. That's the hope of a gospel witnessing opportunity. Now, let's stop for a second and get our bearings. we got a little bit more to go and. Point number one, the first theme, and then we're going to hit theme number two. But let's get our bearings for a minute. Imagine, if you would, maybe it's your college. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody on your team who you know right now, who's coming to mind, that you know is spiritually lost. Whose face just came to your mind? 
who you know is spiritually lost. And you're praying, God, Colossians 4, give me an opportunity to be able to witness of Jesus to this person that I love. And God opens up an opportunity. He opens up a door for the gospel. And you bravely, filled by the Spirit, given boldness by the Spirit, given words by the Spirit, you follow through that door. And the very first thing that you want to be able to communicate, God loves you. And God has a plan for you. But he wants to bring you out of where you are now because what he's going to take you into is infinitely better. You see, this is the way Stephen teaches us to witness. Why? Because look at verse 2 of chapter 7. God is the God of glory. Now think about that with me for a second. You know how many times that phrase, God of glory, appears in the Bible? Twice, here, only because it's quoting, really, the only time, and that's Psalm 29, which I preached a year ago, January 2020. And the God of glory is an unbelievably, powerfully magnificent name for God. Why? Because the glory of God is the display of all of his divine attributes. And there is no better display that God loves to give, listen, than saving those who are spiritually lost. He is the God of all glory. He loves to display his attributes. And there's nothing that more displays his heart than those whom he has chosen. He brings out of where they are and into his blessings. And Stephen is presenting the gospel. And it begins with the knowledge that is certain. God determines to call people out of this crushing immoral world system. Out of the suffering that our sin causes. Out of the grip of Satan's power and he's bringing them into freedom he's bringing them into life he's bringing them into joy and satisfaction but if you're going to go into joy you've got to come out of sorrow if you're going to come into life you've got to come out of death if you're going to come into satisfaction you've got to come out of despair that's always the trajectory of the gospel this is good news but there is also the reality of bad news. And that gets us to the theme number two. There is something in every lost sinner that resists God. There is something in every lost sinner that resists God. Here's Stephen. He is on trial. He is brought on trial with charges that he spoke against Moses, spoke against God, spoke against the temple, and spoke against the law. Four trumped-up charges. So now he shows them. Now you listen, you got to hear this, all right? You really, this is what's going to snap a lot of this message into, into clarity for you. Here's what Stephen's about to do. He's about to show them through their own history, the history of Israel, that they, these 71 men, are in fact the guilty ones. They've broken every one of those charges. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people. 
uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. He's saying to them, you always resist the God who goes by the name the Holy Spirit. Just like your fathers and you persecute his prophets. Just like your fathers and guess what? One of those prophets, in fact the greatest of the prophets to the Jewish mind was Moses. Just like your fathers, you received the law. But you keep it no better than they did. You love this temple, verse 48, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. These these men on the Sanhedrin are only following their fathers all through Israel's history. And let me show you that from Stephen's message. Look at verse 8. God made a covenant with Abraham. He called Abraham to himself to father a nation who would be a people for God's own possession. These would be God's people. The devil has his people. God now chose his people. Now let me tell you something that you want to know, and this is not going to be easy to hear, because you love them. Everybody in the world, everybody apart from Christ belongs in one sweeping category that the Bible calls the people of the world. They are not the children of God. Listen, they are not, no matter how much you love them, the children of God. The only children of God that there are are those who have put their faith in Jesus and the Spirit of God has adopted them into his family. Nobody else is a child of God. If you're not in, a child of, if you're not in the family of God, the Bible only has one other category. You belong to the world. So God makes a covenant with Abraham. I want my own people. He calls Abraham to him to be the father of a people for his own possession. But his people, the patriarchs, the fathers of Israel, the sons of Jacob, verse 9, the brothers of Joseph, rise up against their own brother Joseph, who was a prophet of God. And they sold him into Egypt. You know the story, right? They did not love Joseph They were jealous of Joseph. Now here's the brilliance of of Stephen. Can you flip your Bibles back to chapter 5? Look at verse 17. The Bible says these men, the Sadducees that made up the most powerfully elite of the Sanhedrin, We're also filled with jealousy. Do you see the tie-in that Stephen is doing in his message? Their fathers, verse 35, this is chapter 7, verse 35, their fathers rose up. So men on the Sanhedrin, your fathers rose up against Moses, verse 35. This Moses whom they rejected. Moses gave them the law of God, but look at verse 39. Their fathers refused to obey him. They rejected God, verse 40, and made a calf and offered a sacrifice to the idol. Stephen says, you're the same. 
In fact, you, verse 52, betrayed and murdered the righteous one. Do you see what he's doing? He's pounding the gavel on these 71 men in hopes that they would break, that they would come into spiritual poverty and turn to Jesus so they could inherit the kingdom of God. If they don't, if he doesn't preach the bad news, then the good news is really not going to look very good. Now, let's bring it to us. Remember, this is instructive even more than it's exhortive. The, the spiritually lost, what do I mean by that? Well, Stephen said, those whose hearts are not circumcised. In other words, they don't have faith. They don't believe. Their hearts have not been cut to the quick. That they're sinners, yet God loves them. Compelling them to turn to God through Jesus Christ with faith that he would be their Lord and their Savior. See, these men were not like that. They were spiritually lost. And the spiritually lost often better understand sin. Listen, not when you tell them that they're sinners. I've, amazed, I've been amazed at how tone deaf they become when I mention sin. So what I like to do, and what I would encourage you to think through, is I mention at first the effects of their sin. With words like despair, and loneliness, and emptiness, and guilt, and unshakable fear, and anxiety, and depression. And then I would talk to them. Have you done what God said not to do? Or have you acted in anger without mercy? Or have you pridefully put yourself first and others last? All of that is conceptually sin. But you don't even need to at this point yet bring that word up. Because all of a sudden a gauntlet goes up around their minds. You can talk about sin through its effects and through its actions before you have to get it theologically there. In fact, Stephen never, I want you to notice this, Stephen never in this entire message mentions the word sin. The only time you're going to hear him say anything about sin is when he's actually literally dying and he prays and asks for the Father to forgive their sins. But in the message, he doesn't mention the word sin. He cites their rebelliousness, their rejection, they're prideful, stiff-necked hearts that resist God. That's what he's talking about. And what is important in, in witnessing is to make clear that every person, listen, I hope you hear me, every single person on the planet that has ever lived in every era of time is born with a fatal disease. And that fatal disease is a deep rebellion that is lodged into the center of their heart. It's in the center of the heart of every human being. And it causes them, and it caused me, to turn against God and disobey His word. And the favorite biblical word for that is sin. It just literally, fundamentally means to miss the mark. And the excuse which I often hear, and unfortunately I have offered at times, the excuse of being only human is not only invalid to God, it is the problem. Every single human being has fallen short of God's requirements. They are sinners. 
And we cannot rescue ourselves. And if we are to come out of this bondage and into this blessing of the promise, somebody must rescue us. And that reality leads us to the third and the greatest theme in all of Stephen's message. And here it is. The one who can rescue you has come. The one who has rescued you, who can rescue you, has come. Now put it in reverse before we put it in drive, all right? Let's go back a little bit. God calls people out of something before he takes them into something. That is the great hope of gospel witnessing. But something in that spiritually lost person's heart will resist God. It is resisting God. We know it to be sin, but you can describe it through its effects. You can describe it through its actions. But you've got to get finally and fully to the third theme, or there is no power of witnessing. The one who has rescued and can rescue has come. Friends, it's really wonderful. You know this. It's really wonderful to speak of God's love to spiritually lost people. But to begin talking about a, per, a lost person's sin can be really difficult. But again, if the bad news is not so bad, the good news doesn't really look so good. It's not that compelling. After all, listen, this is why. If you're really a good person, you might actually believe your goodness is enough. Or that you just need a little help to get over the top. That's the problem with the morality of Americans. Almost everybody fundamentally believes they're pretty good people. Why? Because you always compare yourself to the worst. And compared to the worst, I look pretty good. But the Bible reverses it. It doesn't allow us to compare ourselves to somebody who is worse than us. It always compels us to compare ourselves to Jesus. And then we always fall short. But gospel witnessing is more than telling someone that God is calling them, more than just pointing out their desperate moral and spiritual condition. It is telling of the one who can rescue and give life and give forgiveness. And Stephen does that. And he does it throughout his sermon. And here is how he did it. Are you back in chapter 7? You ready? Joseph, Moses, the law, and the temple... Now listen, everybody look up at me. I prematurely told you to go back to your Bible. Look at me for just a second. This will be brief. All four of them, Moses, or all three of them, Moses, the temple, and the law. Oh, you got to get this. They all point to Jesus. They all point to Jesus. They're all called types and shadows, which theologically means they're just pointing you to something greater than themselves. And what is greater than Moses, what is greater than the temple, what is greater than the law of God is Jesus. Look at verse 13. Joseph made himself known to his brothers. This is what Jesus did to his brothers in Israel, fellow Jews. 
Just as Jesus, or Joseph rather, called his family to him. Remember, they're starving. They don't have grain. So he calls his family to him in Egypt, and he saved them with grain during a famine. Jesus has become the bread of life, and he saves desperate people whom he calls to himself. Just as Moses, look at verse 20, was beautiful in God's sight. At his birth, so was Jesus, even more. All of the angels emptied out of heaven and sang at the birth of of Jesus. Just as Moses, verse 22, was mighty in words and deeds, even more so was Jesus. Just as Moses was sent by God, verse 35, as both ruler and redeemer, leading his people out of Egypt and into the promised land, Jesus is the true redeemer. He's the king of all kings. He leads his people out of death and into life. Just like the living oracles of the law of God were given to show Israel who God is and how they were to live, Jesus is the word of God, John 1.1. He's come to reveal God and teach us how to live. Just as Solomon built, verse 46, a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. God built a better dwelling place in John 1.14 as the word became flesh and dwelt among us. His name is Jesus. You see, the law and the temple worship, they've passed away, Stephen's been preaching. This is why they got so angry at him. This temple that had taken so many decades to build that was gleaming because it was gold covered. Are you hearing me? This thing glinted. The sun glinted off of it with gold. It was literally overlaid with gold. This thing was still going to be built for several more decades. It was a wonder of the ancient world. This temple is going to pass away. Why? Because it's not needed anymore. You go to the temple to make sacrifices so that your sins can be covered but the sacrifice the lamb of god has already been given there is no more need for the temple there is no more need for the law because the law was to condemn you the law was to condemn me it was to drive you into comparison with god's holiness so that you could see that you fall short so that you would flee to god in poor spirit so that you would turn to god through jesus christ and jesus the lawgiver the word of god came there's no more need for the law see that was stephen's greatest point And his entire sermon led to it in verse 52. And they, your fathers, killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. You are worse than your faithful fathers, he says, because you killed the righteous one, Jesus. Remember I told you that this was the third time that the Sanhedrin had heard the gospel. The first time Peter told them in Acts chapter 4, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the, the, the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That was the first gospel proclamation to them. 
The second was Peter telling them, the God of our fathers, Acts 5, raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, but God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. And look what he can do. He can give you repentance to all Israel and forgiveness of sins. But now in this third time, Stephen declared that Jesus was sent by God to bring us out of the old and into the new, to rescue us from our rebellious hearts. And he did this as the living word who redeemed us from all sin through his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. For our sake, Paul says, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, there was a big trap in the Jewish mind of the first century. They truly had an ethnic superiority ingrained in them. They were taught this for centuries, that the Jewish person, being the people of God's own possession, was born righteous. And the way you grow in righteousness is to obey and keep and love the law of God. But the law of God makes no one righteous. In fact, the law of God condemns. And the law of God moves you to the only one who was born, actually not born, but has eternally been righteous, born into this world to be the God-dweller. Do you understand? It is the righteous one, Jesus, that makes us righteous. So when you're witnessing... Do you really love that person? Well, if you really love that person, you're going to speak. And you can't honestly say you love a spiritually lost person that you won't give them the gospel hope. And if you give them the gospel hope, then let it be hope. Let them know that God can invite them. He can bring them. He is inviting them out of the old and into the new. The new is his promises. It is life. But there's something in them that is going to defy that, that's going to resist that, that's going to rebel against that. We call it sin, but there's a lot of names for it in the Bible. But you've got to get to the final point. Jesus can rescue you. Jesus is your Redeemer. Jesus is your only hope. Jesus loves you. Will you believe? Will you follow him? Will you put your trust in the Son of God who died on the cross, was made to be sin, so that you could become the righteousness of God? That's gospel witnessing. Now let me end with this. Whose name, whose face comes to mind? A spiritually lost person that you love. That's the one. That's the one that needs to hear the gospel. And who better to hear it from than someone who loves him? Christian, that's you and that's me. May this be the week that you get the privilege to tell them about the God who can bring them out of the old and into the new and tell them about this stubborn rebelliousness that's in their heart that's trying to rob them of life, but yet tell them about the one who came 
to die so that they could live. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you, Father, for sending your Son, Lord, into this world because you love us. That was your primary motivation. And Father, anyone who believes and trusts and submits to him, Lord, will not perish but have everlasting life. Father, I pray that we would love people to the point that we would tell them this good news. Lord, that we would declare to them boldly. Why? Because we're filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit of God gives us boldness. And the Spirit of God gives us clarity, that we would tell them about the God who loves them and will bring them out of the old and into the new. Lord, that we would explain to them, these people that we love that are spiritually lost, that there is some stubborn inclination in them to resist and defy and rebel. And that's exactly why our Savior came. Our Redeemer came. His name is Jesus. He died on that cross. Why? To give us life. Not just to cover our sins like every single sacrifice in that temple was ever able to do, Lord. Not if you're a, a, a faith-filled Old Testament worshiper and you bring a lamb for a sacrifice. At best, their sins could be covered, but they could never be taken away. The only way for sin to be taken away from anybody is through Jesus. And he died to be made sin so that we could become the righteousness of God, free, lovely before you, part of your family, sealed into that promise. And we've got a job. And our job is with every breath of our being to tell people who are lost the way they could be saved. Lord, get us going. Get us going. In Jesus' name, amen.